Welcome, everyone. This is episode 22 of the Brandon Adams podcast. I have with me my good friend, Nelson Pena. Nelson, how are you? I'm good. I'm good, Brandon. Thanks so much for having me. And, you know, I'm excited to, uh, to talk to you and dig deep into what we talk about often. So my podcast, I don't know how closely you followed it, but it's a little bit unique in that I'm, I'm all over the map. I do a little bit of fantasy sports. My last podcast was on poker. I do a lot of economics and finance. It's pretty much what I'm interested in and the, and the guest that I feel like I'll be most engaged with that week. Um, like a lot of people post COVID, uh, gained a few pounds and was a bit lazy and, and then decided to uh, fire it up and get in shape. And you and I, we've aged together. We've known each other since 2007. Um, we've had ups and downs, life, fitness. Um, and I would say both of us are in good shape. You far more than me. Um, but we both pride ourselves in uh, fitness and health. And there are unique challenges associated with being in your 40s. I suppose that everyone um, everyone has to fight their own ego when it comes to to aging and health, because um, I like to use the example of of tennis. I often go to tennis tournaments and compete in say thirty and over, thirty five and over, forty and over division. And if you're forty and you watch fifty year olds compete you see they're slow, they don't react very well, they're, they seem to struggle with their fitness, they're not explosive, but you can't imagine that happening to yourself, uh, and yet it does. Um, so, so now you are the person that I know who's in by far the best shape of any 40-something. You, uh, you are actively coaching others, you, um, you have for me, like an unbelievable constitution to weather the ups and downs in life, both physically and, and emotionally. Um, and I love to see that the main focus now is, is coaching. I want to start with the, with the physical aspects of things. What what is a difference for guys in their 40s who are training? And maybe give us some background in, in what you do to stay in shape. And, and uh, I could give some anecdotal examples, but maybe you could go into it. Again, thanks for that intro. And right, there's so much to unpack there. But, you know, to keep this focused, you know, I'll follow your lead and stick with the physical, right, in, in the 40s. Um, and... You know, I, I want to, I need to sprinkle in there. You know, I'm in, you know, I'm in my early 40s, almost mid 40s now. And yes, I'm in the best shape of my life. And thank you for saying that. But, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a physical trainer. I'm not a professional athlete, right? So I need to, I need to say that, that I'm the, like, let's say the average common man in the U.S., especially in New York City, where I say that because I have a full-time job, right? I have two kids. And right, so there's not much wiggle room in terms of timing. On, on trying to trying to be in the best shape of my life. That being said, you know, on the physical side, 
you know, I make things non-negotiable. You know, my, my physical health, my wellness, you know, and, and obviously my mental healthness, health, um, health is my, I would say my number one, you know, 1B priority. You know, obviously like my kids and family are 1A, but, you know, I make my health and fitness non-negotiable and it's a top priority. Um, so that's, that's first and foremost, right? So you have to lead with that. If you're in your 40s, you have to make that a focus, right? And you have to get buy-in from your family, from your friends who are going to support you and be like, oh yeah, that's Nelson. That's who Nelson is. Nelson is, you know, he's all about looking good, feeling good, being his best self. And right, and that is, that's my physical approach is looking good, feeling good, and being your best self, plus making things non-negotiable, right? And that, that's the bottom line. I've, I've found it interesting as a, as a brief digression that um, if you look, say, on, on Instagram or on, on YouTube, popular coaches, they tend to be really hardcore. Like the David Goggins type model is a, is a popular model. And personally, I find that motivating. I don't know. I don't know why is it, maybe it's the same reason people enjoy watching like the Rocky four training sequence or something like that. The hardcore is just is appealing, but, um, but you, you have an element of the, of the Goggins of the, of, of, of the hardcore. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. Right. And, um, just because we're wired that way, that way. Right. Every, every one of us has that, that, let's say, intensity in some form of their life, be it physical, be it in their job, be it in, in poker tournaments, be it in performance. And right, so that's what I do. Like, that's just who I am. So it, one of my, let's say, vessels to unleash that intensity is in my workouts, right? On Instagram, trust me, you don't, you don't probably see like 20% of, you know, me being down on my knees, sweating, almost throwing up because I just don't have a camera crew with me. But, you know, I push myself to that intensity because honestly, that, that's the feeling I'm chasing, right? And that's what motivates me and motivates, you know, the people I work with is, you know, it's not about a goal, right? The goal is, is to chase a feeling, right? So that, that feeling is gonna help us, mo is gonna move us, especially in our 30s and our 40s and our 50s, it's that feeling. Right. It's like, what do you want to feel every single day? It's almost that like runner's high, but times a million. Right. For me, it's like this. Uh, uh, it's like a religious experience, you know, going for a three mile run or a five mile bike or even, you know, just an intense workout. It's that feeling I'm chasing. And, and so that so in order for me to get to that feeling, you better believe I'm going to bring one hundred and ninety nine percent to that because I want that feeling. So that Goggins intensity, you think you think that everyone has that streak to some extent and you just have to tap into it? Yeah. And, you know, tap into it. But that takes time. Right. The tapping into is almost like right. The example of peeling back an onion. You know, a lot of us don't do the work of like, all right, why do I want to feel that? You know, like it, it's, it's a lot deeper than that, right? So you have to ask yourself that question of like, why am I doing this? What am I feeling? What am I chasing? 
Um, so yeah, absolutely. All of us have that, that, that Goggin intensity. David Goggin has spent a lot of time working on himself. You know, he's gone through so many Navy SEAL things and ultra marathons where my point is, if you have that much time by yourself, <laughs> you know, you better believe you're going to get, you're going to peel back your onion to the core. So he knows clearly what he's, what, what he wants to feel every time he works out. Right. So he brings that intensity. So my message is, you know, all of us have that. I think a lot of us just haven't spent the time to peel back that onion and get to the core of like, of getting, of unleashing that intensity. So a lot of your methods as a coach, um, they, they come down to tapping into virtuous cycles where, um, I, to simplify, you can explain it in more, in more detail, but, um, to simplify you, you work out, you feel better, you get better at working out and you, uh, launch onto a new positive path. Similar, like for me in 2007, eight, I was playing a lot of poker and, um, wasn't, I thought I was going to the gym every once in a while, but I was not in shape. And, and then, um, sort of rediscovered tennis and the first time you go out, you can't survive the hour. Right. And then, and then like you get better and now you're going an hour and a half. Now you're burning more calories, more intensity, and it gets easier and easier. And it, it's, it's a virtuous cycle and uh, all form of workouts. They, they have, they have elements of that. So, so explain, um, Explain your motivation cycles and and the kind of virtuous cycles that you that you like to launch people on. Yeah, it goes back to that feeling, right? It's step one is identifying that feeling. Step two is how do you get to that feeling, right? Is it playing three out of five sets when it's ninety five degrees in South Miami, right? Is it um, you know, is it is it tapping into that sort of like spiritual place? Of, of motivating you why you work out but you know it, it just goes down to like you said it's creating that for me the goal sometimes isn't isn't physical or spiritual the goal is to get into what you said that momentum right i like to call it like success momentum right so once you get that momentum going right it's like a train you become a locomotive and you, once you get those wheels going, that performance going, you know, you hitting that forehand in the sweet spot every time, you hitting that first serve, you know, 70% of the times in, you're going to want to chase that feeling over and over and over again, almost every day, every other day. And that creates this sort of like momentum or people call it, you know, I have heard flow. For me, it's all about momentum, right? Because I want to do it the next day, the next day, the next day. And same thing with like performing it in, in poker tournaments, right? It, it's not, you create that, like if you're able to really tap into that feeling and every single time you perform, reach that feeling, right? You got to reach that feeling. If you don't reach that feeling, then you might as well just delete that, that tournament or delete that time you played tennis. But if you reach that feeling when you're playing that poker tournament, you're like, all right, check. That's going to, that's going to sink into your system, right? Subconsciously, consciously, physically, mentally, that the next day 
or the next time you're at that table, that tennis court, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna see yourself moving towards that, again, unconsciously, because you're trying to tap into that feeling. So for me, it's like, let, how do we create that success momentum? On the mental side, you mentioned that you're um, squeezing the physical part between family time, between, between jobs, um, and you've got impressive like mental resiliency, positivity. Um, what do you, what do you do to engender that? Do you, do you think that, and, and as a coach, what do you do for, for people where like mindset is, is a key focus? Do you, do you get the physical right first or, or, um, do you directly engage mindset? Yeah, look, it starts from the top down, right? Top meaning that the, the, the head, right? The mental moving down to your heart, the spiritual. And for me, the last is, is the, is a sort of physical, but you know, let me take a step back just because, you know, you said like, how do I endure all this? Right. And I think that's life, right? We're in our early forties and life happens and life will, will give us all these things to, to either stand up to, step up to, or fall on your knees and go down a different path. But again, we're not wired that way, right? A lot of people are, are, have this limited belief. A lot of people are, are capable of so much more that they don't even know, right? And so what, for me, it's like, you know, it starts in your early 20s and your 30s. You know, we come out of the gates. Our, our, you know, we went to the best business schools, the best law schools, et cetera. You know, our hopes are so high. Our scenarios are super rosy. You know, and then your 30s, you know, it's like, it's almost like a, a leaky roof. You know, you start realizing there could only be one CEO in the world and that's not going to be you. You know, some marriages crumble and, you know, maybe yours crumbles as well. You know, that dream of owning an NFL team, you know, becomes impossible because you can't even cover your mortgage, right? So we kind of stay within this like emotional basement for a long time and we adjust our aspirations, our, our expectations. And we, we become, you know, we become sort of average. We, we stay in that middle. So the point is, you know, in our youth, our expectations are super high. And as we get older, they get super low. Right. So what I do is like, we got to delete that. We got to delete that from, from our brains and come up with like, all right, man, you know, you're 45 years old. Like we still have a lot of life in us, in us. We still have a lot of potential. We still have, we want to, what experiences do we want to create? Right. Life is not over. Right. But you know, it, so it, it really is to answer your questions from the top down. Right. So we, we have to, it's like mentally, spiritually and then the physical aspect to me is last on the physical side i would like to i would like to dive in uh to that because you have a bit of a specialty in coaching people in the 40s because it that's where you are it's a unique uh time frame it's not a focus of many uh trainers and coaches um so i would like to i would like to get into that um I'll, I'll share my experiences like thirties versus forties. And you could say, you could say what it's, what it's like for you. Um, the, 
Um, the big differences are just notable, noticeable differences in uh, explosion, like energy and workouts, and then the need for, well, I'll say if you get out of shape, to get back in shape in the early 30s is no real thing. It's like a few weeks yeah. or a couple of months. If you have reversals um, in the early 40s, it's it's quite hard to overcome. And one one like big difference that I noticed post COVID is uh, like a lot of people gained gained a quick five pounds during the during the COVID lockdown during that initial lockdown, and then sort of successfully cut it off end a bit. Um, and if you if you do that sort of cut phase, which every every athlete from from a triathlete to a to a um, bodybuilder, anyone who's trying to get in shape has those sort of bulking and cutting phases or or eating and then cutting phases and and um, in the early 40s when you try to do any sort of cut phase, it's that's when you realize the, the limitations of age like it tends to, when you're in your early 30s, it works the way it's supposed to. You cut a lot of fat and not much muscle. And then when you're in your early 40s, you end up cutting a lot of muscle and not as much fat. And that's just the way it goes. I disagree. I think, you know, if that's happening, you you have, um, you just don't know, have the right plan, number one. And number two, you're not executing or the person's not executing. You know, I got, you know, the most ripped I've ever been at the, you know, post my, my surgery of my shoulder, you know, at the age of 42, the most ripped I've ever been. Right. And so, you know, again, like physical and performance are completely different things. So, right. In my, you know, yes, I was a triathlete and performance wise, I was super quick running, super quick running, uh, biking, swimming, but Physically, I look kind of average, right? I mean, not average, I look normal. To set the baselines for for people, you played collegiate tennis, you've run 15 or so Olympic distance triathlons, um, but but then you're also kind of a freak <laughs> in that the, um, well, I recall when we were out 10 years ago, and you had the push-up contest in the bar after drinking, and you no, knocked. I, I was not, you know, someone challenged me to, to, to do that. But you weren't working out so much at that time, right? No, you know, I was average. And you did like a hundred. Yeah. So, so your your starting point is a good starting point. Correct. Correct. In terms of performance, right? If if. Um, you know, if your goal is in your 40s to, to have that like muscle cut ripped, you know, that's a different different beast and a different training, right? And that's why I think, you know, I disagreed with you where, yes, in your 40s, you can have that muscle density and that ripped, but it takes the right, the right plan, consistency, 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 consistency. Right. When I got the most ripped, believe it or not, you know, I went on six months of eating the same thing at the same time 
with zero deviation, right? I made that non-negotiable because I, my, my goal was to get to see, right? I was given this green light by my doctor after I got uh, recovered from my surgery on my shoulder. And I told myself, Brandon, I said, you know what? This is a gift that my body's healthy again. I'm going to honor my body like never before. And I'm going to get the most ripped I've ever been. Not the quickest on the treadmill, not the quickest on the bike. I want to get the most ripped, right? So I went, I went on zero, zero, six months of zero deviation of what I ate, how I ate, when I ate, and my workouts. And I had, you know, I look like an Adonis. <laughs> so six months. Uh, zero deviation. I'll tell you even a, a, a funny story. What's the al alcohol, caffeine, zero? Oh. Yeah, yeah, zero. I mean, things are non-negotiable. And that's why you have to have buy-in from, from your friends, from your support staff. Where I told my friends, I'm like, my goal is in six months to be the most ripped I've ever been. So, you know, even we went out to like family dinners, I would bring my Tupperware and eat my meals. Like, no, you know, I would walk around with a bag in New York City with my Tupperware of meals. Sadly, at one point, I got so obsessed where... Uh, I had to make a trip to Los Angeles, right from New York City to LA is roughly six hours. You know, I, the other thing, I was not eating out at all. All my meals were, I cooked myself, I packed myself, where I flew it to LA, Brandon, and I packed a week's worth of my food that I cooked here. Where like, oh honestly, goodness. I think it went a little bad, but I still ate it because I'm like, you know, there's zero deviation, zero deviation, I gotta stay on this plan. So to sum it all up, man, in your 40s, in your 30s, you could get it in the, the most ripped by having the right plan, consistency, and, and zero deviation. It's non-negotiable, man. It was non-negotiable. I think that illustrates the broader point where when you're in your 40s, the, the discipline required is so much greater relative to achieving yeah. the same results in the 30s. So my goals are... I've never had the goal to like get ripped. That's just never been a goal of mine. It's always more performance oriented, like a mile time or a three mile time or, or a tennis goal or something like that. And, and one thing that becomes interesting about the forties is that you're actually doing very well to, to maintain, which is kind of tough on human psychology because we like the feeling of improving. But if you're a if you're a very good tennis player and you're 41, I mean, for you to be the same level of tennis player at 50 is actually quite an accomplishment. Or if you have a good three-mile time at 41, it's pretty hard to do the same thing at 50. And that, it's very tough on on human psychology, but I think that that sort of is fitness in the forties. Yeah, I agree. Right. I, I definitely agree with what you said earlier. Where like your explosion, um, in your, in your forties, at least in running, right. In a tennis court definitely slows down. Like, you know, we lose steps, right. That that's just a fact. So that's something that in our forties and our egos, we just got to like accept and it is what it is. Right. Uh, I will tell you this, where I find it interesting, you know, triathletes actually improve as they age, 
right? And I found specifically like my swim times and my bike times actually either on par or improve, right? Yes, my slow, my, my running isn't as fast, but my swimming and my cycling is either on par or a little bit better. You have to slow down. And that's one thing is like in our 40s and our 50s, you have to really listen to your body to prevent injury, right? Because we can't go out there and play tennis for two hours every single day. You will tear something. Yeah, that's where that's where Goggins, uh, as I find him very motivating, but he he might be destructive in that regard. He encourages people to to push to push possibly too hard. There's other ways to push, right? So so with regard to your your zero deviation program, and I I think you're not alone in this in this regard. Now this is the most extreme example I've ever heard. Someone having same time every day, same things, no alcohol, no caffeine, flies their food around, takes it to work. This is the most extreme example I've ever heard. Um, however, among all my friends set, I do find that almost everyone who's fit operates in regimes of discipline and regimes of non-discipline. And the regimes of discipline, they're, they're not as extreme as what you're doing, but there's something uncomfortable about it. There's something where they're, they're counting calories or, or doing something that is, is a, is a daily discipline and they're, and they're holding it for, for a bit. Um, we can go into mine and why mine might not be successful, why I might lose too much mus- muscle, but, but on yours, what, what was the science behind your program or was it just you knew that was a discipline that you could keep? What, did you know exactly what your calorie burn was likely to be each day? No, I, I definitely didn't keep track of calories at all, right? Mine was more sort of like macros, right? How much protein, how much fat, how much carbs I was eating. Um, and it's really just consistency, right? It's, it's that consistency and that, that belief that you're, the plan you're on, what you're doing works, right? So I, I don't need to count calories. I didn't have to weigh myself because for me, that was like a mental, you know, it didn't make me feel good to weigh myself. It didn't make me feel good to count the calories. You know, what made me feel good was, or what gave me comfort was knowing that what I was eating was feeding at that point my, my goal of building muscle and getting ripped. Explain the advantages and disadvantages of having, say, say you have six months dedicated, right? And imagine two different programs, one where you have like a cutting and bulking phase or phases, however you want to structure them. And another where you do what you did, which is a, a relatively constant program of exercise and calorie intake, macro intake. What, what do you see as the advantages and disadvantages of, of those two approaches? Look, I think you have to be clear, right? It's in, you can't, you know, again, I'm not a bodybuilder, but work for me is you can't go, you can't bulk and cut at the same time. So you have to decide, okay, during this period, I'm going to, is it bulk or cut, right? And so that, that's number one. Um, 
But when you're but when you're doing constant throughout, isn't that sort of like bulking and cutting at the same time? No, because what I, I my my goal at the time was like I was trying to get the most ripped as possible. So I was trying to get cut. So it's six months of cutting is basically I mean, I basically got in three months, I got again, yeah, like my baseline was always like I was pretty always active, right? So within three months, I got the definition, the muscle the muscle mass I want here. Here's the thing, right? There's no secret, right? The, there's a lot of stuff out there where if you lower your body fat, your muscles are going to pop, right? So you don't need big muscles. You just got to lower that body fat. So that's the trick is like, how do we in our, at this age, lower our body fat? Look, you could go on the internet and get the plan. It's not about the plan. You know, it, it's honestly having, someone checking in on you having an accountability partner being like brandon all right every wednesday we're going to check in what's going on you know and it's at zero deviation so for me you know like you said i'm just a freak where every week you know i would check in with myself and that's why i went i know for a fact there was zero deviation of meals for six months because i checked in i wrote it down and for me, it was, it was almost like this like weekly obs- obsession or goal that I wanted to see, all right, one week I'm going to go eating the same stuff, having the same workouts. That one week turned into a month. I'm like, all right, well, that's one month. I could do another month. I did two months. So for me, that was the obsession. Now, did you, in that sort of extended cutting phase, did you have issues with uh, hunger and irritability at any, at any point or? No, I, n- not you know, I wasn't, I wasn't on the edge because I left everything either like on my workout. So yeah, there were points where I was hungry, but keep in mind at that, the other thing is there's so many assumptions of like cutting of like that I learned, right? Me personally, and that works for my body where, you know, I was eating seven meals a day. My last meal for many of those months was around 11 PM was eight ounces of red meat and vegetables you know like my house at midnight would smell like steak (laughs) so that that was again there's so many there's so much to unpack there that i personally learned of like well how do you get cut it's not about eating salad and not eating i was eating every two to three hours i had tupperware with me and i was eating my last meal was at 11 right so um it's that last meal at 11, was that just something you learned that you like to sleep on a, on a full stomach or you like to, uh, I learned that I need a red meat for my muscles to, I felt, and I know it was like that, that red meat made my muscles denser, right? Again, I was obsessed. I was obsessed with my physique. And, and I keep saying that because there's differences, right? Performance. And we're just talking about physique. I was upset like that, that, that red meat added density to my, my muscles, my chest, my abs were, when I woke up, I noticed it. And that's why sometimes those like bodybuilders are chasing that feeling of like that pump because they're so in, not even in tune mentally. There's so much on this plan that they're able to see if you eat, you know, half a cup of rice, you're able to notice that difference in your performance. You're able to notice that difference in your physique. Right. And, and so that takes 
right? This consi consistency compounds. And it's all, that's why it's like once that momentum starts going, there was no one that was going to get me off my momentum track a week in, a month out, two months. Look, I flew food out to LA. Like I brought Tupperware with me to restaurants. People are like, you're crazy. I remember I went to a holiday party in Christmas time at, um, you know, th this place and everyone ordered their food. Once the food came, I whipped out my Tupperware. And I asked the guy, I asked the waiter for a plate. I put the, <laughs> the food on a plate. But again, that, that's the only way that, that you know. Well, if, you're, if your goals are that extreme, then um, any little thing is ready. Well, I know, but any little thing is ready to throw you for a reversal. Like I've noticed um, post-COVID, a lot of people have had uh, fitness programs and um, sometimes they're easier to stick they're easier to stick with because you don't have the random night out with your buddies where you have a bottle of wine and like a lot of rich food. And, and uh, unfortunately sometimes those dinners throw you off for a week or they throw you off the plan entirely. Um, and so sometimes you do have to get a little bit extreme, like bringing, bringing the meals to the. Yeah. Or like, yeah. you know, I hate using the word extreme, right? For me, it's non-negotiable. It's like, that's who he is. It's like, that's who, you know, that's who Brandon is. He plays tennis. He plays poker. That's a fact, right? So it's not extreme. It's just, that's who you are. And if people can't, you know, that's, that's who I am. Like, you know, I, I run, swim, bike, take care of my family and take care of myself. That's a fact, right? So like, yeah, maybe there's periods where I'm eating, I'm being a little bit more strict and I'm, I'm focused in, you know, it's not extreme. That, that's who I am. Sorry. And again, like we know this, right? In order for you to be the best at anything, you have to be, you have to make things non-negotiable and you have to commit to them, period. You know that. How do you tolerate like small failures? It, it, how do you, how does your own mind tolerate your own small failures? Give me, give me an example. For instance, in, in my cutting phase or when I'm trying to get in shape for something like whatever, a few years ago, I did a mile bet. Sometimes I do like a tennis, tennis challenge or something. If I'm, if I'm trying to get in shape, um, you know, I love to go out to eat. I love to eat and drink. Like I'll just yeah. love to go out to dinners. And so that it's, it's actually quite remarkable that having consumed all of the things that I've consumed over a lifetime that I'm in the shape that I'm in, because it's, it's a lot of eating. Um, and so, so for me uh, to do a, a cutting phase, I will, I get sort of short-term scientific about it. Um, I, I know my exact calorie burn, which I'm surprised you don't when you're doing these phases. So I've done like the resting metabolic rate test and then the VO2 max where you can see your burn for each level of heart rate. So I can, I can estimate very well my burn on a day. So if my goal is to lose 10 pounds, I'll just have like a six week period where I'm just trying to lose 35,000 calories and I'll just have calories in calories out and do it that way. I mean, it's boring, but that's the only thing that works for me. Otherwise I just like eating and drinking too much. I'll just, I'll just do that if I don't have the goal. You know what I mean? But for me, what a short-term reversal would, would be like is, let's say, you, let's say you and I have some running challenge in like a month 
And I know that the quickest way for me to, to meet my goal is to basically shed, shed 10 pounds. So I'm trying to lose like 35,000 calories in that time. Um, what an ideal process would look like is you're, you're losing 1100 calories a day. You're, you're, um, you're exercising, you're not having days where you lose 3000 calories and other days where you're like excess a thousand calories. That's what a good process would look like. Um, what a bad process would look like is excess and then, and then overdo the cor correction. And so a period of weakness would be you go out with your buddies and you have the bottle of wine and the, and the big rich dinner and, and you have 7,000, 6,000 calories on the day. So how do you, do you just not have those days of weakness ever? Or how do you tolerate those weaknesses? It goes back into making it non-negotiable, right? You know, it's like using your example, like you're in this phase, you know, you got one month to make things non-negotiable. You're stronger than that, right? You could go 30 days of making non-negotiable. That's number one. Number two is have buy-in. You need that support staff your friends knowing like, Hey, Brandon has a race in 25 days. Yeah. We could go out to dinner, but he's going to, he's not going to drink. Maybe he's not going to have dessert. So you need that support staff, right? You need that accountability, right? Some people do have an accountability um, partner, which is a coach. Some people, you know, have accountability partners, which are friends, but it's number one, making it non-negotiable. And number two is, 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 um, is um you know having that that support that accountability so yeah i'm not i'm you know if my goal is in 30 days to run to lose weight like i could go 30 days not doing it it's not a big deal but right. then you say hey what if what if it's like your best friend's birthday and everyone's going to vegas then honestly look you got to live right and then so you do the race maybe the following month right there's also life you know trust me as you know it, i'm not all about I'm, I'm a big believer and you have to live, right? So I don't, I try not to hit pause on life. You know, as you, as you know, I hit play in life. <laughs> uh, but again, I, I commit to things. I commit to life. I commit to this beautiful life. So as a coach, when you're, when, when your student misbehaves, has a bad day or has a bad week, what is, what is your approach? What are you telling him? Let's, let's say your student is trying to lose 20 pounds and get, has some challenge for himself running a 10 K or something like that. Um, what he has a bad week. What, what do you tell him? Look, it depends, right? Before I start working with anyone, um, one of, you know, I have a strategy session with them. And one of my questions is basically how committed are you to, whatever plan you, whatever goal you have is. And number two is on a level of one to 10, where do you want me to, how do you want me to coach you? Is it a five? Is it a 10? Is it a nine? Is it a one? So based on that, then, you know, I take, you know, it depends. So that, that's going to make, you know, make this answer a little bit different. So if I would ask you, you know, how committed are you to running, you know, a mile under, I don't know, let's say, uh, let's say a 5K, right? Three miles under 18 minutes, right? I would ask you, how committed are you to that? 
you would say very committed. I would say on a scale of one to 10, you know, how should I coach you? What level of, let's say, intensity? So that would be like uh, with with Goggins. He's got some great stories where he likes to push people to do a ten, and then he in earlier in his career he would go live with them. Oh, if really? It, <laughs> if it were ten, right? Right, because ten would be the most extreme accountability and the mo- And so I've I've had people where they've saved ten, and or we literally go to their house. I teach them what to buy in terms of nutrition. I teach them how to cook it. I even, we even go online and buy the Tupperware. I buy a bag for them. I buy the, the water bottle they should be using. So right, there's zero deviation on the meal plan I give them. Yeah, so a 10 is that. Yeah, and then that's the only way people are gonna get there is having an accountability partner, right? So like, I didn't learn that until like, you know, in my late 30s or 40s of like having someone accountable for to you is so powerful. Yes, in my 20, yes, in high school, 20s, 30s, I was disciplined enough and I would call myself out. But right, like you said, a lot of people aren't aren't that freakish. So for those those non-freakish people, you know, yes, you could find the plan online, you could find anything online, but for that average person, if they want, you need that accountability partner to get you to that level. Because if not, you know. It's like New Year's Day. All right, you'll go a week. All right, I'm going to go a week. And then by February, people are, you know, back to normal. Same thing with any sort of performance, right? It's like if you want to run a quicker mile, you need a coach to check in on you, to check your times, to have you accountable. If not, people are just going to wither away. So the 10 is is you're there. Like you're, you're living with them. That's the extreme example. What... I would imagine for a lot of people working with a coach, the they do the once, twice a week check-in sessions online or something. What is that, like a five? Yeah, I mean, look, the, the, the way I work is I have weekly calls with my people and then I have midweek check-ins. And those midweek check-ins are just a quick text, text of like, how's it going, right? And I leave it open to them. Sometimes, depending on who it is, they're like, oh, man, you know, I had a bacon cheeseburger and a chocolate mousse cake last night. I messed up. Or some people, it's like, yo, man, zero deviation. I'm on track. I can't wait to check in on Friday with you and see where we're at, right? So it, it has this, like, basically, look, and it, look, a coach is there to support you, right? The coach isn't there to make you feel bad because, as we know, People only grow and change if you feel good. There's few people that want to, that are going to feel bad to change. The majority of people want a reasonable challenge, want to feel good in order to change. Ask them the right questions and then get them there. It's a simple equation, right? And yeah, like the, you turn the dials on, on, on where you want the dolls to be turned. But again, the bottom line is like, I'm the support, I'm that person, I'm your biggest cheerleader, period. David Goggins to me doesn't look like he would be a cheerleader. Like I feel like that dude would like run me to the ground and make me cry, which, you know, me personally, I would like that, but a lot of people don't. Now, is having people track what they're they're eating and drinking part of your 
part of your normal or not? No, it's not about tracking. It's about what's your goal? Here's a meal plan. We assess every week, every other week, depending on how it's affecting your physique or your performance, and we tweak it from there. There's no deviation, right? You're not telling, you're not telling me what you're eating. If you come in and you say, I want to do X, I want level 10, I'm going to tell you what to eat. And then there's zero deviation, right? Yeah, if you deviate, it's gonna, your goals are just going to take a little bit longer. One selfish question, one personal question with the, the reason that, that cutting or physique has never been a goal of mine is because I've found that it, um, I, well, I have this issue that I can put on muscle very, very easily with, with weights, but it also um, makes me insatiably hungry. I will just like, I would, so it's sort of, for me, weights and stuff, it's just a, it's, you're probably it's not, eating the wrong thing. It's not, it's not worthwhile. And I don't really value having the muscle so much anyway. Um, and then on the, on the cutting side, in terms of getting especially lean, I find that the, um, after a certain point, the, the costs are so dire, it seems like, um, in terms of the way that you, the, the way that you feel. Um, and in particular, like I would say my typical day is I'm, I'm working on something intellectual during the day, whatever my, whatever my project is at the moment. And then I have a couple of hours, an hour maybe on, on not all days, but a good number of days at either the beginning or the end of the day where I can do some form of workout, be it tennis or running or gym. Um, and so I have to have a balance of mental energy and physical energy. And I notice my mind doesn't do well when I'm running on calorie deficits. And also for any sort of extended calorie deficit, like recently when I tried to cut this, when I cut this 10 pounds and did 35,000 calorie deficit, my, uh, my energy for physical stuff and mental stuff is much diminished. Like after halfway there and beyond, it's just like a tennis. I remember I played tennis the last day when I was, when I had reached, when I just got to reaching this goal and it was awful, like just no energy whatsoever. Um, so for me, the, the costs of being in that, that deficit state are, are pretty severe. Do you think that's generally true or do you, do you think I just don't navigate it well with what I'm eating? Look, right. I think scientifically that's proven, right. There's like brain foods, right. There's certain brains that are supposed to help your performance. Right. So my, my first question is, would be like, you know, are you eating those enough of those brain foods? I would say yes. And I, for me, for me, it's so consistent. It's, it's so consistent across times when I've, when I've cut weight in my life that, and the feeling is so similar. It's like a deep hunger. And, and I think it just relates to the calorie deficit itself. So I, I wish you had kept a, a, a video blog, just like a three minute video every day during your, your, during your six months. I found it entertaining in the poker world. There's a, 
there's a really popular guy named All American Dave, who's an ex military guy. And now he plays poker and he also sells healthy foods to the poker community, especially during the summer poker tournaments. He has a food truck. And he, um, he does bodybuilding competitions. I don't know if he still does them, but he used to do them. And three or four years ago, he was keeping a video blog. And it was fascinating to watch the blog when he was deep in his cutting phase. Because he had obviously done it like 50 times before, been in this cutting phase. And he basically every day in the cutting phase, he said, well, this feels the same as the last 50 times I did it. It sucks. I feel irritable. I have no energy. My brain doesn't work. I just feel terrible. And it makes me think that, that like, of course, each time on the, on the 40th time, if he, if he felt that way, the 41st time he tried to make corrections, he's always trying to make corrections and it, it always feels terrible just because of the deficit itself. Yeah, look, I think the brain thing is a um, completely different category where it's like, again, I think that you need like the proper rest, the proper hydration, the proper foods in order for you to like mentally be your sharpest, right? On the physical, yeah, look, it's going to be different if you're, again, I think there's a lot of, at least for me, assumptions that were debunked, right? Like when I got the leanest and the most ripped and the lightest I've been, uh, you know, I was, I was eating seven meals a day. So yeah, my goal was to get lean, but it was, it was almost counterintuitive that my last meal was like red meat and vegetables every single night. Cause you would think, well, like I'm trying to lose weight. I shouldn't eat. And my last meal should have been at 7 PM because it's da da da. That, that's just, that, that didn't work for me. That, that was the complete opposite. I was eating, losing weight and shredding at 42 right and so for me like my performance again again i i i you know when i was like you know and then i would do a lot of what they call like carb cycling right it's like a couple days no carbs the next day heavy on the carb and yeah maybe on those days when like the second day of no carbs i was feeling lethargic but for me when i would go perform you know either um running or in the gym man i was so dialed in that you know by the by the after the warm-up or the first set man i am all in and again i'm chasing that feeling that feeling of how like so again that my feeling is greater than anything greater than like physically feeling tired right so uh, an equation i use with a lot of my people is like you know that, again, that feeling you're chasing has to be greater than anything on the other side of the equation, right? A lot of people were like, well, I have a full-time job in New York City. I have two kids. I have to commute to work. So that means I have to wake up, I don't know, 5 a.m. To, to chase that feeling, chase that workout. And I'm like, all right, is that feeling, is that workout greater than you feeling that discomfort of waking up at 5 a.m.? If it is, then all right, then it's not for you. But again, something has to give. So I keep telling people is fill in this equation. If you chasing that feeling, you chasing that performance is greater than, it has to be greater than whatever is on the other side. And right, so you'll, you'll make all the adjustments, make it non-negotiable, commit, whatever words you want to use 
to, to make that side greater than. Yeah, that was just part of the course. Like, yeah, I would feel hungry. I would eat. I would start working out, warm up. And once I get those endorphins going, which, again, is my feeling, those feelings are like rocket fuel. And I'm off. You know, I'm 60 minutes in the gym, 60 minutes outside pushing my body. You're not getting in my way. Well, were there any uh, supplements you like to use uh, other than just good nutrition? Were you doing uh, creatine I, I, or? You uh, know, I, I was pretty consistent with like post-workout protein shakes. Th that's about it, right? Um, which, you know, I'm, I'm like, I try to keep everything sort of like natural, but I feel like um, to have a post-workout protein shake was easy to carry, carry around. And, you know, your muscles need that, 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 that fuel post-workout, right? A lot of times you could even bring your meals and just have a meal, but so it was just protein shake after workouts. What, what's the logic of the carb cycling? Look, the logic is, is, you know, if, if you're trying to get, if you're trying to get cut, you know, at some point your, your muscles, your body needs carbs. So you can't go a week of zero carbs. Like your muscles need carbs to grow, right? And then also for your brain, you're like insulin. So like you need that like glycogen. You can't, you can't run that at a, at a deficit and keep it there. You won't be able to function, right? So the carb cycle is like, all right, I'm going to shock your – and that, I'll talk to, about this as well, right? You know, you'll go one or two days of no carbs, but then you need that carb, that glycogen, to, to feed your muscles and have your muscles perform. That's the other thing I want to talk about. Like in our forties, the other thing I learned, you know, on the physical side is one must keep shocking their body. You know, think about it. You know, we've been working out since our, since our high school days. I'm sure there's a lot of guys out there that are, are doing the same workout routine for the last 10 years, five years, right? In terms of same exercise, same reps, same routine, same order. In our 40s, man, you know, I was switching it up almost every other week or even maybe every, yeah, almost every other week, right, to keep shocking my body, keeping those muscles guessing. And same thing with the foods. You got your, your body will plateau at some point, right? Your muscles plateau. The, your, the way your body burns fat plateaus. So you have to keep shocking your system on the nutrition and on the workouts. That's another key thing that I learned going through this process in my early 40s is you got to shock your system. And it sounds like you're against the uh, fads of fasting and that sort of thing. I've, I've never been a fan of, I've never been a fan of those ideas. Yeah. It didn't work for me. Again, the, the thing that is, is still mind blowing was like having steak and vegetables for almost six months and I would wake up with like my stomach flat and ripped. Right. So I'm, I'm against that. Plus your point, man, I'm always hungry. Right. So th this, this meal plan I was on, you know, I was eating, you know, around seven meals a day. It was perfect because I was eating almost every two, three hours. And trust me, like I was looking forward to that meal. Among, among my group, there probably would be some people who would want to chat with you. Um, how do people get in touch with you? Yeah, just go to my website. Go to uh, www.themontalkmethod.com. So it's themontalkmethod.com. Insta is at the Nelson Pena. So that's N-E-L-S-O-N-P.
Pena, P like Peter, E-N-A, at the Nelson Pena. So a, a couple more questions to, to end on. When, um, there's a lot of talk in like the popular literature about a set point theory or the idea that your, that your body at certain ages has uh, desired levels of fat based on your genetics and your, and your personal history. Um, to people who ascribe to this view, they think that, for instance, if you did have a period where you were overweight in 20s or something, um, your body will naturally want to have higher levels of fat. So you'll find it more challenging to get to very low levels of fat. You can do it, but your body always sort of wants to get back to a certain level. Um, did you personally find that after you finished this six months that your your body desired to to get back to higher body fat and pushed you to uh, to eat more? Yeah, I'll answer that. I mean, look, I think this this health fitness, it's a lifestyle, right? So I say the six months because that was just sort of a time frame that I went zero deviation, right? You know, I went for, you know, another year and a half of this lifestyle, right? So my point is like, it's a lifestyle, right? If you want to be healthy mentally, physically, it's not about six months, it's a lifestyle, right? Obviously, there's like different levels of intensity and different goals within that lifestyle, but it's a, it's a healthy lifestyle. So that's number one. And yeah, look, it's funny, you know, I was a fat kid period. Go on my Instagram. You know, I was like, you know, I think eighth grade, I was, I was a fat kid, probably ninth grade. I was a fat kid. You know, I was pretty quick and my eye hand coordination was great. And, you know, it was funny. So like, I was like the funny athletic kid, let's say. Um, and even at, then I started losing weight, probably like sophomore, junior year of high school because of obviously girls and, and all that. And so that was fun. But, um, I do agree with you where there's like a default that your body goes back to. Um, that being said, you know, I'm not a fat guy. So like, yeah, I was a fat kid until I was like 15 years old. Um, but I don't necessarily believe I'm going to go back to being a fat, that fat body because of this healthy lifestyle, right? I've educated myself. I have enough momentum. It makes me feel, Look, again, it, I go back to like, I look great. I feel great. I'm the best version of myself, right? So, but yeah, I, I, I do agree that um, there's, a, there's a default, but I think, you know, I, with so many years of living, people could change their habits and behaviors to avoid that. So last question, with, um, with any sort of a, a workout goal or any sort of fitness goal, you... You have the nutrition side, then you then you have the the fitness side, and there are really two parts to it. You you need to keep with the general plan. Like for you, if it's working out every morning at six o'clock, you have to actually get up at six o'clock and do that. That's that's very hard. But that but then, it's hard because those people haven't identified the feeling that they're chasing and that feeling that they want. Right. So, right. They call it, it could be the endorphins. It could be the runner's high. I don't, 
whatever to me, like you label that feeling. So it doesn't have to be necessarily working out. It could be a woman doing yoga. It could be someone doing dancing, right? That has a feeling. So that's why I work with all my people is like, let's identify that feeling that you want. So, so when the alarm goes off at five fifty in the morning, you're not thinking like, oh man, this sucks. You're thinking, oh man, I can't wait to chase that feeling. But people need to be clear on like what that feeling is. And then you go back to like, is that feeling greater than, oh my God, that 6 a.m. alarm bell, right? So that's gonna trump all of it. And within workout, so I would say the next big thing is within workout intensity, which a lot of people struggle with, myself included, like then you actually get there and now it's like, do the thing. So an example would be, let, let's say, let's say you set a hard fitness goal for yourself. You use the example of the, the 10 K under 18 minutes, which would be, everyone can agree a very, very difficult goal. Um, you have to get to the track and then you have to, with no one watching, just doing your thing, like run the fastest three mile that you can as training. And it's tough. Right? Like, what are your strategies when you're in that position, when you show up and like, you've made it to the tennis lesson and now, you know, you have to give it a hundred percent intensity, work on your footwork, like just go all out. You get to the track, you want to run your fastest three mile. It's just you out there. Like you got to, you got to run your fastest. Like, what are your strategies in that moment? Yeah, look, right. It's like, if you're the track alone, that's why it's always good to have an accountability partner, either have a coach, have someone that you're like checking in, be like, today I ran this long, this, this was my time. Right. And, uh, but look, you're going to have good days and bad days. Right. But again, it comes down to consistency compounds, right? You're going to have bad days and it's okay. Right. It's okay. But again, it's that consistency compounding that is going to make the difference and is going to get you closer to that goal. Right, you can't be discouraged because we're human. At the end of the day, we're not robots, right? We're humans and it's okay. And it's okay that we're slowing down. It's okay that you know your body fat is a little bit higher. It, it just, it really, it's about consistency and, and, and having a healthy lifestyle. I love it, man. Well, this has been fun. This is, uh, it, it's been motivating and it's been, it's been a good time. It's good to catch up. Yeah, it was great. Thanks for having me and uh, always a pleasure, Brandon.